Looking to step up your Mother's Day flowers? The Home Depot has an idea. Let Mom's Green Thumb do some digging with colorful flowers, pots, and premium soils to bring out the most in her patios, walkways, and gardens. Right now, get Vigoro Potting Soil just $8.97 for strong, healthy, vibrant plants, indoors and outside. Shop our wide selection online and pick up your order in-store and give Mom the gift of a beautiful garden. Get Vigoro Potting Soil just $8.97 at the Home Depot. How doers get more done. See homedepot.com slash delivery for details. The longest field goal ever attempted is 76 yards. The longest field goal ever missed? Also 76 yards. Why bring this up? Because knowing your limits matters, both when you're kicking a field goal and when you gamble. Betting more than you're comfortable with is like trying a 70-yard field goal. It probably won't go well. So set a limit when you gamble and stick to it. Want more helpful tips like this? Go to KeepItFunOhio.com for games, quizzes, and lots of ways to keep your gambling from getting out of hand. This episode is brought to you by Progressive. Most of you aren't just listening right now. You're multitasking. But what if you could also be saving money by switching to Progressive? Drivers who save by switching save nearly $750 on average, and auto customers qualify for an average of seven discounts. So multitask right now. Get your quote now at Progressive.com. Progressive Casualty Insurance Company and Affiliates national average 12-month savings of $744 by new customers surveyed who saved with Progressive between June 2022 and May 2023. Potential savings will vary. Discounts not available in all states and situations. AFC win totals as set by the folks at PointsBet. Every team there except the Browns. The Browns are off the board because we don't know how many games Deshaun Watson will or won't play in, so it's kind of hard to have an over-under as to how many games you expect them to win or lose. Let's go ahead and put that back up for a second because I want to point out a couple of things. Anytime you get above double digits or into double digits, that's, that's a high bar for any team, especially in the AFC. Can we put the graphic back up? That's a high bar this year. There's four teams that are north of 10 wins. Broncos, Chiefs, Chargers at 10 and a half. You got three teams from the same division with an over-under of 10 and a half, Christopher. Well, that's, that's a, unbelievable to it, me. It is unbelievable. I mean, it, it's one of them's not going to get there. One of them's not. I mean, I wouldn't expect to. And the fact that they all have to play each other. And then the other team in that division's got a win total of 8.5 and the Raiders to where, you know, they're going to kill each other to a degree in the West a little bit there. Uh, I would think, but yes, uh, I mean, I understand money or people, the public, having confidence in those football teams there. It's a quarterback league. There's three phenomenal quarterbacks with those teams, let alone we know the Bills at the top. They got arguably the best quarterback in football right now. It's either him or Mahomes. So you're right. It's Those, those are big numbers, certainly. And people are expecting a lot from the Broncos and Chargers this year. And, and I, know, no, I know both teams are close, but... Again, I'd have a hard time picking them as we sit here right now over the Chiefs. I know, I know it's it's they've improved their team and the Chiefs lost Tyree Kill, but man, I don't know. I just I, I don't think I could pull the trigger and pull, pick any of them over the Chiefs quite yet. That's just astounding. And look, this has been a widespread phenomenon for just a few years now because these kinds of, of numbers weren't widely available, they weren't widely discussed. The idea that three teams from the same division yeah. are 10 and a half, even with 17 game season, three teams at 10 and a half is, is astounding to me. And yeah, somebody's not getting there. Maybe two of them 
won't get there. The Bills at 11 and a half. I mean, you know, you, you bet the over on that. You're banking on the Bills going at least 12 and five. And there's a lot of things that can go wrong to cause a team to not win 12 or more games, Chris. Yeah, d- definitely. I mean, yes, and we know Miami's better. New England, I expect them to still be every bit as good as last year, if not better. You know, a new team they had last year, year two. So it's not. It's I mean, it's it's going to be tough sledding, like you said, in the AFC in general. There's just so many talented quarterbacks. I think games are going to be so close, and some of them are going to be able to boil it down to just, like, what quarterbacks got the ball last. Uh, I, I really do look at it that way in, in a lot of ways with some of these guys. But, yeah, 11.5 is a, a big win total. But the Bills – with their defense, coaching staff, oh, I mean, again, Josh Allen, what they got there, and I understand them being the team that everybody's looking at. I do. I, I, I would think they'd be the team that I would look at to go. They're in the leader house, as uh, Chris Sims would say, as far as the team that I look at to be the, the Super Bowl favorite um, in, in the, in the uh, AFC this year, but... You know, that AFC West is crazy. It's like the NFC West. I mean, we saw the NFC West. We had two teams over 10, uh, 10 and a half wins there last year, and the third team was at 10 wins in the 49ers, and that's the team that went to the NFC Championship game. So, you know, it, it's doable, that's for sure. The one that jumps off to me yeah. as a, a, a pretty good bet is the Dolphins over under eight and a half because they've had winning seasons each of the last two years. Right. And it just feels to me, even though you and I both disagreed with the firing of Brian Flores, and, uh, and and I think they would have been on a good track to not just have a winning season this year, but bust through to the playoffs this year, even though in the AFC, who knows? I think that they're going to at least go 9-8. and eight. I, I, I'm confident they're at least going to go 9-8. and eight. That's the one that I can look at, and I'm looking at their schedule now. They play the four teams of the AFC North and the four teams of the NFC North this year. I, I think the Dolphins go easily over eight and a half with Mike McDaniel, with Tyreek Hill, with the new vibe there. There's just there's an attitude. There's a swagger. There's, there's a rejuvenation of the brand at a time when it's as low as it can be on one hand with the Brian Flores allegations. On the other hand, I think they hired a great coach. They've made some impressive moves. Yeah, they have. And I think they, I think they will be over. Now, again, injuries can change everything. But I look at the schedule. I look at where they are. I look at what they've done. The defense is still in place. And that defense was very good down the stretch last year. And we always, don't we always look at like the team that finishes strong? Doesn't that team get a little star on it as a team that could be really good the next year? And I know they change coaches, but this is a team that won eight out of nine games down the stretch. That counts for something, too. It, it does. It definitely does. It, it's a jump start for the next year. You, know, you go, I mean, you know what you're capable of. You know you're a team that can get hot. They kind of played up to their potential towards the end of the year. Yeah, it's a weird offseason, certainly, but you're right. It's it's different than like most offseasons for a team that lose their head coach where you're like, oh, man, they got to – you know, put some pieces in place and get the team reorganized. It's, it's not that at all here. I mean, they, they basically just added to a really incredible roster to go along with it already. And now it's just about, wait, can this new first-year head coach kind of hit the ground running where they left off? You said, where, what has it got? It's AFC North and NFC North. Is that where you said they're yes. playing this year? Yes. Yeah, that, 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 that definitely is, you know, to me, oh, win total is great. You know, you, you, I know we don't know the schedule, but we should all you know, know, be able to figure out the formula to a degree. 
AFC North, NFC North. We know exactly who they're going to play. We just right. don't, know, just don't when. know when. Right. So, right. yeah, that that's that's that can help you in betting. But what I would tell anybody that really wants to bet money on win, win totals and over-unders, too, is please still wait for the schedule to come out. I would. The way the schedule is set up is it, it's, it's, it's just as important as anything. It really is. Just like we talked about with the Colts last year. We thought the Colts were a playoff football team. We also thought with some of the new pieces and Carson Wentz not being able to, we went and their schedule the way it looked the first five weeks. We went, the Colts aren't going to get off to a good start. I don't. We we like them as a team. It's good, but the stars have aligned with a few things here to where you go. I can't imagine them getting off and and kicking butt. And what they start off one and four, right, Mike? Something like that. So you know, again, that first three or four games of a schedule to me is very important as far as dictating wins and win totals and and kind of how the season can go from that point on. I I see another one that I really like too, and and I agree with you. You get more clarity once the schedule comes out. Yeah. I guess part of the fun is because it's going to move for the same reasons that people should wait. I think once the schedule comes out, we will potentially see some movement based upon when you get your difficult games, when you get your easy games. I like the Steelers at seven and a half, too. Yeah, I knew Look, you would. I, I, I've got 50 plus years in and around Pittsburgh. And when I said this last year, when you expect the Steelers to be bad, they end up overachieving. We expected them to not be good last year, and they made it to the playoffs. This year, the bar's even lower, and I think they're going to have a pretty solid year. And I think they're going to win more than seven and a half games. You know, the Ravens are, are who really knows right now. The Browns are in kind of a transition phase, and we don't know how many games Deshaun Watson's going to miss or it's even going to work with Deshaun Watson. And, you know, the Bengals may have a little bit of a backslide. Whether it's Mitchell Trubisky or someone else at quarterback for the Steelers, they got enough of a team there that I think they're going to win more than seven and a half games. I, that's probably an even safer bet in my mind than the Dolphins over. I think the Steelers going better. Because, look, if they go under that, that's the first losing season of Mike Tomlin's entire career. Why would anyone think they're going to have the first se- losing season of his entire career this year? Why would you think that? But, oh, but they don't have Ben Roethlisberger. Well, did you see Ben Roethlisberger last year? And he still had a winning season with Ben Roethlisberger uh, at, at you know a, a very much lower than 100% version of the best Ben Roethlisberger. Yeah, yeah. I, I, the Steelers are definitely one of those teams where you go, oh, if expectations are low, watch out. Well, well all you got to do is look at last week with Mike Tomlin at the owners' meeting. I mean, like genuine excited excitement in the fact that people are questioning the Steelers. Like loves it. Loves it when, you know, didn't love when Big Ben got hurt a few years ago, but love the fact that their backs were against the wall and the whole world said they couldn't do it. And then they fight their way out of it and get into the, the playoff conversation. Yeah, there's something about Mike Tomlin, the Steelers that way. And I would agree with you. I think they're one of those teams I look at, too, to go, eh, people I think are sleeping on them a little bit just because of the quarterback situation. I think there are pieces that are, are there to make me think like you. Oh, seven and a half is maybe a little low. I still will look at the Tennessee Titans at nine and a half and think that's low, too. I, I'm, I'm sorry. I will. Uh, I just again Tennessee. There, there's a reason they were the one seed last year. And and to remind everybody, the one seed without Derrick Henry for half the year. That that they're they're not going anywhere. Yeah, I mean they, you know, Robert Woods, he'll be back. But so what? That should be an upgrade over Julio Jones. You know, the offensive line's still good. I look at the Titans, and I think I'm pretty sure they got the AFC West, which won't be easy. And then they got the NFC East, which we know. 
you know, is is debatable of what they are or what they're going to be there. So that plays in the favor of the Titans too. And I still look at the Titans, even though they're a team without the superstar quarterback in the AFC, they're the team I look at to go, out of all these teams and the win totals and all this, the Titans are the one team that I go, offensive line, top five in the AFC. Defensive line, definitely top five in the AFC. Probably both top three in both areas. And not all these teams in the AFC can say that. And that's where, you know, I'd be interested to see this year. Is it going to be quarterback sexiness? Or will some of these teams like the Colts and the Titans, who are a little more well-rounded, will they show up and go, hey, cool, you guys got quarterbacks, but we got a team. And we're, we're a force to be reckoned with as well. That could be something to watch for. They do have the AFC West and the NFC East in the AFC South. But between the Colts and the Titans, though, Look, yeah, the, the Titans got it done last year and with 91 different guys playing. That was a record, a record that they set in week 12. Mike Vrabel earned that Coach of the Year award. I know they, they, they lost to the Bengals in the, in the division round of the playoffs, and that kind of has a stain, a major stain on the achievement of the season. But still, it's a game they could have won. It's a game they should have won, and it doesn't take away the fact that, as you said, they were the one seed in a very difficult conference right. that with all those things you said you. the injuries and everything that's amazing yeah. really when you think about it that way that does seem low so those are the three that seem the most glaring to me the titans i agree with you the dolphins at eight and a half and the steelers at seven and a half that is just screaming out that that, that is too low let's take a break when we return we'll flip over to the nfc and see which totals stand out either because they're too low or too high when pft live continues right after this all right, there are the NFC win totals from our friends at PointsBet Sportsbook. Bucks and Packers at 11.5, 49ers, Rams, Cowboys, 10.5, and then you got everybody else in a conference that I think is, look, I, first one first one that jumped out to me, Packers are too hot at 11.5. Yeah, 100%. Now, I, know, I know that they have six cupcakes in their division, and I know they play, I think, the – who do they play this year? It was two divisions that weren't all that difficult. The AFC North. No, no, no. They already played the AFC North. Uh, AFC East and the NFC East, I think, are the the uh, the two divisions where they play every team. And, of course, every team in the NFC North plays those, those same eight teams. Even then, and I know they've won 13 games three years in a row, but you take Devontae Adams out of the mix, and I, I think it becomes a little more challenging. Uh, I agree for the, for the Green Bay Packers. I, I'm, I mean, I'm, I'm with you, uh, and that that's the one that jumped out to me. I think more than any other. When I looked at it, I just went, "Wait, the Packers? Like the team that you know already last year was not as good as a healthy Buccaneers, 49ers, or Rams football team, and now they lost the guy they're most dependent on to their success, other than Aaron Rodgers. I, I don't see that." You know, again, you you said it right. I mean, yeah, the schedule's a little bit favorable, your division, but I would think your division's going to be better up there. I mean, Minnesota's going to have, you know, a different look, a different vibe. That's not always easy to deal with. We know the Lions, they seem like they're headed in the right direction. The Bears, oh, Justin Fields and company, you know, it's not a great division. I understand that, but I still, I guess, like, I'm, I'm like you. I'm, I'm bearish on on the Packers for sure. I think, again, they're going to win the division. I would expect that. And they'll still be one of the major players in the NFC. But I just don't look at their team and think they're on the same level as some of those other top teams in the conference. Yeah. Um, the Rams are too low at 10.5. I know they've got the 49ers and the Cardinals and the Seahawks. But, 
I mean, come on. We don't know what the 49ers are going to be with Trey Lance, assuming he's even the quarterback. The Cardinals, what, what, what do you know about them? They're going to start strong and fade down the stretch unless they somehow break that trend that goes all the way back to 2013 for Cliff Kingsbury. And the Seahawks are just kind of floating around aimlessly. So I, I, and I, th- I just think that, I said this last week, I think we're sleeping on the Rams. Like last year, oh, the Buccaneers, they're going to repeat. Oh, they're, why are we saying that about the Rams? Uh, I, I, I don't know. Everybody else in the NFC is taking a step back. And I know the Rams have lost some guys, but I feel better about the Rams right now from the standpoint of holding their spot than I do any of the other teams. Now nah, the Bucks, but they, they don't have a head. I mean, look, I, I know that I know that we have our, our opinions and our theories about who ordered the code red with Bruce Arians, but Bruce Arians is still gone, Chris. We talked about that last Thursday. He's still gone. They're not going to have him on game days. They're going to have a different head coach. That changes the dynamics for the Tampa Bay Buccaneers. That hurts the Buccaneers. That is an element of uncertainty that is going to potentially undermine their efforts to be as good as they can be. Of all the, Ram- of all the teams in the NFC, I feel like the Rams are the ones that are in the best position to equal, if not exceed, what they did last year. Uh, I, I would think so. Uh, I mean, I'm with you. Again, you know, there's no Odell Beckham Jr. as right now. As of right now, there's no Von Miller. It takes away from their team a little bit from what we saw, but uh, they had they were a team that was kind of banged up and injured towards the end of the year too. They still got a pretty good receiving core with Van Jefferson, Cooper Cup. The tight ends are pretty good. Uh, you know, it, it's we know McVeigh and the offense going to have proper game plans. You're going to have Cam Akers back healthy 100%. Didn't have him all year. And the other things I look at to just go, wait, basic football knowledge would tell me year two and Raheem Morris's defensive system might be better. Matthew Stafford, year two and McVeigh's system and being more comfortable. I would expect that to be better. Uh, and, 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 right, they're playing, we said, was the NFC South. And the AFC West, right? So it's not an easy schedule, that's for sure. But the NFC South, as it looks right now, you'd go, well, thank, thank you for having that on the schedule. Other than the Bucks, I think any of those teams are going to look at it and go, well, we're not sure what the Saints are. There's no Sean Payton. Atlanta's total in a rebuild. Carolina, I don't even know who their quarterback's going to be yet. We don't know what's going on there. So I'm with you. I think people are sleeping on the Rams a little bit, no doubt. I still look at the Rams, the 49ers, um, and, and the Buccaneers to be elite football teams. Yeah, there's some questions here and there. We get that. But I just look at them and go, man, they're so well-rounded uh, in so many areas and elite in more than one areas on their football team, their roster, that I just, yeah, they're going to they're gonna say something about 2022 football. Any of them jump out to you other than the Rams that seem on the low side? Uh, the low side there, I don't know if anyone jumps out to me. I can't say that. I got one. You got, got one. one. Which one is Saints. it? The Saints at seven and a half. That's probably the only yeah. one I looked at in that column to go, eh, defense is still awesome. We got that. Uh, Jameis Winston, yeah, another year being a starting quarterback. Can Alvin Kamara stay healthy? Uh, I hear you. They're, they're a team to look at. And then like we just talked about, the NFC South, I mean, Carolina, Atlanta, they're certainly not going to be anything special. I, I hear you. The Saints would be one I'd think about. Um. The reality, though, is, look, there's a lot of teams in single digits. Some of those teams are going to sail over 10. We don't, that's, that's part of the fun of it. We don't know which teams are going to have the planets line up just right. And as you said, and this is an excellent point, you said it last segment, let's say it again. How your schedule is constructed, which games you have early. I mean, you could come out of the first months of the season 4-0, and 
or 0-4, depending upon which of your games land in those first four spots. Right, and where they're at. And, and right, You're going to feel it, very, very right, differently. Right. Very differently about where things go from there. So that's, that's a very real practical concern, and it would give you a reason to not rush to buy your ticket, although if you want to, feel free, but you have more information when the schedules are locked in. And you'll get a sense. You know, one of these teams that's yeah, not supposed to be very good, well, they get all their, their easy games. Right. Out of the yeah, they, yeah. You, you know you've seen it happen. We've seen we, it. We've, you've you've seen it on the inside. We've seen it on the outside. A team that has not really clear expectation for what it's going to be in a given year. They get their easy games first, and they get that four and zero record, five and zero, five and one, and then they embark on their tougher stretch. They're in a better position to go win those games because they they have greater confidence in themselves than they would if they're getting their asses kicked all over the place to start the season. A hundred percent, it does. It build it builds confidence. That's what it does. It builds confidence. It builds momentum. You start to learn little nuances of oh wait, this is why we won the football game. We did this well. You know, we eliminated that. So that starts to filter through the team as far as how to play that way. And I think it's 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 a very real aspect within the NFL building. And if you can, yeah, you know, have an easy schedule and then all of a sudden maybe steal a game you weren't supposed to steal or win a game against a team, that, then you start sitting there going, oh, wait, we're good. Whoa, we're good. Whoa, whoa, we, we got a chance here to really set ourselves up. Maybe we can get a home playoff game. And it just, again, then it's just, it catches fire. That's what happens with an organization. And that's what that early part of the schedule can do last year. I was trying to look at, like, was there a team last year that kind of jumped out that way that you look at to go, you know, they kind of did that. You know, I, I kind of I look at the Cowboys a little. I'm, I'm trying to think of any, any other teams. I know they started with the Bucks, but they got Chargers in week two. You know, with hey, Brandon Staley taking over the team, the Eagles are still trying to figure themselves out. The Carolina Panthers, you know, they they were a new team, and then they got the Giants. And I'm just trying—I was trying to think of like you know teams that are set up that way. The opposite, of course, was the Colts, like we talked about in the first segment. And that important—that first four weeks very important to how it can can set up a football team. All right, uh, we'll call in Kaepernick to be on a roster the first four weeks of the NFL season or any weeks of the 2022 season. He had an interesting development over the weekend. We'll explain why it happened, why we think it happened, and where it goes from here when PFT Live continues right after this. The longest field goal ever attempted is 76 yards. The longest field goal ever missed? Also 76 yards. Why bring this up? Because knowing your limits matters, both when you're kicking a field goal and when you gamble. Betting more than you're comfortable with is like trying a 70-yard field goal. It probably won't go well. So set a limit when you gamble and stick to it. Want more helpful tips like this? Go to KeepItFunOhio.com for games, quizzes, and lots of ways to keep your gambling from getting out of hand. If there's an NFL scout, any member of an NFL organization watching you today, what is your message directly to them after the years that you have been off, the on the, off the field? What is your message to NFL teams? That I can help make you a better team. I can help you win games. Um, you know, I, I know right now the situation likely won't won't allow me to, to come in and step into a starting role. Um, I know I'll be able to work my way to that, though, and show that very quickly. So to the teams that have questions, uh, more than anything, I would say, you know, I'd love to come in for a workout. I'd love to sit down with you and 
have that conversation about how I can help you be a better team. Colin Kaepernick getting a workout on Saturday at the Michigan spring game. And this was a very smart move by Jim Harbaugh, the coach of the Michigan Wolverines, because it gave NFL scouts cover to see Colin Kaepernick in person, not on tape, not secondhand. You get to see him in person without bringing him in for a workout. No one wants to bring him in for a workout because nobody wants to activate 30% of the fan base that will huff and puff about canceling season tickets and never watching a game on TV. And we all know that's true at this point. Whether we agree with it or not, I think we can all accept that if anybody brings in Colin Kaepernick for a workout, 30% or so of their fan base is going to lose their minds or some other bodily function. I think we understand that which is why it's brilliant to give scouts a chance to go see him where they were going to be anyway at the Michigan spring game. You get to see him throw the scouts report back to their teams. Man, this guy can still fling it. I saw it, right? I witnessed it. I heard the zip and the ball coming out of his hands. All of that stuff. Harbaugh gave him the chance to do that. And I, and I think that it was brilliant. And now we see where it goes from here. I don't have much optimism. It's going anywhere, but I think it was a brilliant way To eliminate one of the barriers, which has been scouts don't see him throw in person because no one was going to bring him in for a workout. Yeah, that's right. Nobody wants to deal with that initial, you know, public surge of having to defend him bringing in the workout, what it could be. So people chicken out from that standpoint. That's the first place I want to start off. Jim Harbaugh, as much as I don't like the guy and root against him, it was a really awesome, cool move by him and what he did for Colin Kaepernick. It really is. Uh, I, I will say that respect it greatly. The support he's continued to show through co- with Colin Kaepernick really from the get-go has been top-notch. I respect John Jim Harbaugh a lot for that. I do. And, hey, it's good for him, too, with Jim Harbaugh. Uh, again, you know, he's in a sport where recruiting African-American players and young kids is a very important thing. It's, it's, that's going to go over well in that community as well. Now, I'm with you. I don't know if this really does anything. I don't. It's just been so long, and like we talked about, it's 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 a, it's an issue, you know, as far as sort of organizations having to deal with the publicity, and then, like you said, the thirty percent backlash. And I, what I want to say is just like, but the other thing that comes to my mind too is like, man, we can't get Colin Kaepernick on a team, but you know, we everybody was okay with Deshaun Watson in that situation. That's where a little bit, you know, I know it's not apples to apples there, but you're just talking about bringing a player in controversy now and publicity on that situation and having to deal with it. And I understand Watson's in the prime of his career. I get that. But it just, it looks weird that teams are like, hey, 22 civil lawsuits and some really shady behavior here. Hey, best contract in the history of football, actually, for all that you did. Thank you. And then here's another guy that, you know, stood up for a cause that was real. I mean, I don't know any other way to say it. You know, I mean, people, unarmed black people just getting shot and killed for nothing. Okay? Yeah, and he stood up for that, and he can't get on it, and nobody wants to deal with that distraction. That's where I'm, I'm not cool with it. It's not a good look for the NFL that way. Now, obviously, the difference is Deshaun Watson is supremely talented. We've yeah. seen it recently, and there's no doubt That's that right. he would walk through the door and be one of the best quarterbacks in the NFL. And if people felt that way about Colin Kaepernick currently – He would have a job. Now, there's a lot of revisionist history, and it wasn't even revisionist history. It was revisionist present back in 2017 when Colin Kaepernick became a free agent. All of the BS narratives that were being fed by 
people in the league, I believe, to justify giving him the cold shoulder when he still was good enough to play for someone, good enough to start for someone, and a minimum good enough to be on someone's roster. That was when we were getting all the, well, he, he opted out of his contract. He's a vegan. Remember that concern? He's a vegan. So is Tom Brady. <laughs> He's a vegan. He really doesn't want to play football. All these assumptions that were made to justify not doing business with him. And Chris, we've talked about it before. They successfully kicked the can through five years, yeah. half of a decade. Right. It makes it even easier to say we're not interested now. He's making it harder on them to say we're not interested. I think he recognized when the quarterback carousel started to spin, the supply wasn't going to meet the demand. This was his chance to really put pressure on the league to do something. And he came out and said he would take a backup job. I'm backup, excuse me. I'm waiting for him to say, I'll take the veteran minimum salary. Because back, there's some backups out there making a lot of money. I'm waiting for him to say, I will accept the veteran minimum salary, even though I shouldn't have to, even though I should still be playing and making a hell of a lot more than the veteran minimum salary. I will take the bargain basement minimum rate to come in the door and reestablish myself and prove to you that I still belong in the NFL and see where it goes. I, I, that's the next step for him to really put them in checkmate. It, it would be another added, you know, up the ante pressure type move if he said that or even added to that, hey, I'll go on the practice squad. How about that? I don't even care. Just let me in the door. I'll, uh, that, that would, that would ante up the, I mean, you know, ante up the pressure a little bit. It would. I'm impressed with his stubbornness. I am. Uh, the fact that we're still even sitting here five years from now and he's still working out and trying to do it, uh, I do love it. And you're right. It's like he saw a little you know, crack in the armor there or whatever to where he went, Let, let's go for it. But at the same time, the, the one thing that happens, like what you talked about with like c- very successfully kicking the can down the road to where here we are now, it's five years, is the number one thing that's going to scare teams or the number two things other than the publicity is the fact that now he just hasn't played five years. Now, they dug that grave for him, but that's an issue now, and especially at quarterback. It's just it, it's it's one of those positions you need to practice, you need to play, and that's where that's going to really hurt him as well, and that's where it's a shame. One other important point, because I've had people raise this question over the weekend, and I did some digging, and it it confirmed some of the things that I heard at the time. Here was the question that I was getting: Did the Vikings ultimately back away from Jim Harbaugh because they feared that he was going to try to bring Colin Kaepernick oh. to town? And I think that's a legitimate question yeah. now mm-hmm. when you consider what Harbaugh did on Saturday. Yeah. My understanding is that was not a factor, that was not an issue, that that was not the reason, directly or indirectly, primarily or secondarily, as to why the Vikings went in a different direction. But it is my understanding that he did he did have Kaepernick on his presentation when you put your staff together, a potential quarterback coach, several options deep. You know, I'm going to try to get this guy, try to get this guy, try to his name was on the roster of potential quarterback coaches if he truly was done with his effort to try to play and clearly he isn't. So his name was mentioned but not within the confines of being the Vikings quarterback or one of the quarterbacks on the death chart and even then that was you know if any team I think is not going to have an issue with Colin Kaepernick it would be the Minnesota Vikings they've got Kirk Cousins he's got a specific style you know you want to have backups that are closer to the style of your starter so you have one offense not two different playbooks but uh, you know there would be some out there that would say "Mm, it'd be interesting to see what Colin Kaepernick would do 
in the Vikings quarterback room if it had ever come to that. But I, my understanding is that was not on the radar screen, and it definitely wasn't one of the reasons why the Vikings went in a different direction than Jim Harbaugh. Uh, that, that's good to hear. Uh, it is. And uh, like I said, I respect Jim Harbaugh and his ongoing efforts here to support Colin Kaepernick. I do. And, and again, you know, it, it's crazy here because this is Colin Kaepernick, who I'm not trying to sit here and say he's, you know, top superstar quarterback in the history of football, but he was really damn good. And he went through like a two-year period where he was in the top five quarterbacks in football conversation. And even his last year plan, even though it wasn't perfect, I mean, that was still a year where, if I remember correctly, it was like 16 and four, 16 touchdowns, four interceptions. I mean, it was somewhere along those, those lines, let alone it had been a few different head coaches and offenses he was involved in towards the end of his career and, and dealt with a few injuries as well. So uh, the, the play was always good and justified being on a roster. The talent is big time. I mean, again, we're talking about a guy that ran 4-4, and as you can see on this highlight here, could throw it 60 yards down the field effortlessly. So uh, it was all about that issue. It's a shame, and here we are five years later. He's still not on a team, and I don't expect him to be, and I, I don't like saying that. Yeah, look, I, I've, I said that the moment this all got kicked up again a few weeks back. Whenever it started, it, it's hard. the past few weeks feel like a few years with everything that's gone on, but it, the, the window's closed, the ship has sailed, whatever metaphor you want to use, it's done. I, they've, they've successfully made it this far. They are not going to turn back around and embrace Colin Kaepernick after making it five years. It's, you know, they, it's, it's, they're not going to do it. They're, they're, it's free. It's clear. It's gone. It's over. They're not going to turn back around at this point. I, I, I'd be stunned if they do. I hope I'm wrong. I hope I'm wrong. I'm wrong enough without hoping to be wrong. This is one area where I hope to be wrong. But I feel like, as I've said before, there's no owner that has the moral or financial courage to do it. And there's no reason to do it at this point because they've already escaped the issue. There's no reason to turn back around and surrender. Let's go ahead and take a break. Even though Pete Carroll not willing to be the one to give Colin Kaepernick his opportunity now, even though they could probably use the help of quarterback. Pete Carroll uh, making some news for some things he said last week at the league meetings when they were together in the room with the owners and the coaches and the general managers. We'll discuss that when PFT Live continues right after this. One of the major topics last week at the league meetings, the challenges presented by the hiring of minorities as coaches, general managers, the issues raised by the Brian Flores lawsuit. Last Sunday night, we reported that there were going to be two more individuals added, and that amended complaint will be filed on Friday of this week. Two others joining Brian Flores with allegations that they were passed over for head coaching opportunities based on race. Pete Carroll, within the confines of the meetings that occurred last week, delivered a lengthy and passionate speech, I'm told, by multiple sources that really put it on the owners for being responsible for what's gone on here. And I was told the reaction by some in the room was, well, you know, Pete, you haven't done a whole lot on your end, especially as it relates to offensive coaches. And he's had two of his sons on the staff. We've talked in the recent past about how nepotism takes away opportunities that could go to any other coaches, regardless of race, creed, background, whatever. You put your kids on the payroll they're taking jobs that could go to people who would otherwise earn them through merit, and that's part of the issue too. But, but my understanding is Carroll was very pointed, very passionate. Jimmy Haslam, the owner of the Browns, got up and had some things to say in response. Uh, basically, you know, 
it's 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 not all us or it's not us or don't put it on us. I I don't have exact quotes, but it was definitely a moment, and it underscored the fact that this is a real concern for the NFL. They don't quite know how to fix it at this point, Chris. No, it, it's a hard one to fix, like we've discussed. It really is. Uh, it, it's it's you know again the owners, yeah, they're partly to blame. A lot of the times they hire people to make a hire, though, because they don't know football all the time. And then they hire a guy who then leads them down the road of whiteness once again because that's all he's known through it. So it, it's a tough issue. It is. You know, Pete Carroll, I, I, he, I, I give him respect in the fact that, you know, he, he seems to at least get in the fight with this conversation. He is the one that stokes the flames of the Colin Kaepernick conversation before, and I don't know how far he's gone behind closed doors there. Uh, Chris Richard, Ken Norton Jr., you know, yeah, offensively you could certainly debate that for sure. I hear you. But, you know, I, I would expect Pete Carroll to be one of those that's leading the charge in this conversation. I would. But it, like we've talked about, it's just not an easy fix. It's not. This is something that's going to take some real time and thought to get this – machine rolling in the right direction to where it is fair to the minority candidates you know there are teams out there that want to have black coaches on the offensive side of the ball involved with the quarterback that's the key touching the quarterback having a role with the quarterback is what leads to further opportunities development eventually head coaching jobs and i was told over the weekend some of these teams are having a hard time finding anyone even at the college level they're having a hard time finding black candidates who have experience directly working with the quarterback. And what the college coaches will say, not all of them, but some of them, they'll say, well, these recruits, and this may be passing the buck, these recruits want to be coached by someone who has a track record of putting quarterbacks into the NFL. Definitely. And these are the people who have the track record, and it becomes like the dog chasing its tail. A little bit. At a certain point, you have to break that mold. And one of the one of the benefits of what we've seen with the the really over the past 30 years explosion and, and complete obliteration of the wall that would keep black quarterbacks from having fair opportunities at the NFL and college level as those players migrate into coaching if they choose to do so if that's what they want to do they have the skills from playing they have the experience from playing it equips them to become coaches of quarterbacks so that may take some time to fully develop but there is some hope that the phenomenon we've seen, and in the grand scheme of things, it hasn't been very long that we've gotten to this. We kind of take it for granted now that it's no longer an issue. It was an issue not all that long ago that black quarterbacks were not getting fair opportunities in the NFL. And I think that, that that's over now. But And also at the college level, not getting fair opportunities. That's ended. Now the question becomes how many – Black quarterbacks who choose to get into coaching are going to end up in a spot where they are getting the experience working with quarterbacks that sets them up to become offensive coordinators and head coaches at the NFL level. That's where the the log jam is. That's where the pipeline is clogged. Uh, and, and that's where I think they're trying to work to, to increase opportunities so that people can develop and and have the opportunities that flow from being in a position where you're working directly with a quarterback. Yeah, I, I agree. That's the launch point, right? I mean, we see that we know that a young offensive guy that worked with quarterbacks and offensive coordinator, he gets the job. You know, now what's weird is, of course, we're seeing the guy that's been the best of that, and Eric Bieniemy, not get a job, which is weird. And then you know, there's Byron Leftwich, but hopefully, we can continue to see that. Like you said, it's a log jam. Hopefully, some of these college quarterbacks who don't get to the NFL, this is the route they 
try to take, you know, like a Sean McVay or a Cliff Kingsbury. It's it's that kind of guy to me. But yes, you're right. It's going to have to be, you know, an African American, uh, and they got to get them in the pipeline on the offensive side of the ball. Because to your point, yes, it does seem like it's swayed way more to the fact that African-American coaches are on the defensive side of the ball than the offensive side of the ball in the NFL. And Pete Carroll has had black assistants and black defensive coordinators, but again, on the offensive side of the ball, and this was the reaction that people had in the room when he was making his passionate speech, you know, we know where the, the, the problem is, is coming from, where the origin now is. It's on the offensive side of the ball, and you look at the coordinators that Pete Carroll has had, and they've all been white. And again, we get back to the, the dog chasing the tail example. At what point does this change? At what point do you have? I mean, at, at some point, and maybe this new program is the starting point with every team now required to hire a minority or female assistant coach and paid by a league-wide fund. I still don't like that because it stigmatizes the person who gets the job. But you're, you're creating another seat at the table, another opportunity for someone to come in and learn and grow and develop and demonstrate the ability to move on to a higher level and then get more responsibilities and grow and develop. I mean, that's how it works. People get in these jobs. They show they can do it so they get a better job and they show they can do that. They get a better job. You need to have the opportunity at the lowest level for someone to even begin the climb. And that's where they're looking to increase the opportunities, Chris, at that lowest level. Give people a chance to begin the climb, to begin to earn higher positions on the ladder and eventually become head coaches. That, that's the thinking. We'll see if it works. Yeah, hopefully it does. So that, that's what they got to do there. That, that's the, really the, definitely one of the, the key points of emphasis. Young, get them in on there, get them going, grow them, get people comfortable around them, get them knowledgeable about the league, and hopefully it can all take off from there. And there is an obligation for the owners to do it. You can't just pass the buck to other teams. You can't say, okay, fine, I understand this. That all makes sense. Let someone else be the one to do it. There, there, there needs to be, and this kind of gets back to the Kaepernick thing, somebody with the moral and financial courage. And even though it's different, it's similar in some respects, you got to go do something that makes you uncomfortable. That's what it comes down to. You have to, you have to go out of your comfort zone. You know, If you have a candidate who has a very similar background to you, if you're an owner looking for a coach and you can relate much more to the white candidate because you kind of grew up in a similar area or similar circumstances and you get more comfortable more quickly with the white candidate than you do with the black candidate, that's got to end. You have to find a way to get comfortable with all candidates and treat all of the finalists the same way and make those decisions because the, the history of the hiring is glaring, obviously. And that's one of the things that's fueling the Brian Flores lawsuit. All right, let's take a break. We'll wrap up this Monday edition of PFC Live right after this. Frank Gore will sign a one-day contract and retire with the 49ers. They may try to trade him first. I mean, since they're trying to trade Jimmy G. <laughs> first why round not? pick. Yeah. Uh, but, hey, look, Frank Gore, Hall of Famer, 16,000 yards on the nose. I love that. Right on Amazing. the nose. Not you don't got to remember sixteen oh two one or no sixteen thousand yards. Boom! Exactly the rushing total for a guy that just kept going. Had the knee issues at the University of Miami. Went on to have a great career. And I, I look, the people are still out there saying, "Oh, but he was never the best running back in the NFL." And he was never this. He was never that. He put together sixteen thousand rushing yards at a time when the running game has become increasingly minimized. 
It's amazing to me what Frank Gore was able to do. He, he should walk right into Canton. He's the third leading rusher in NFL history at a time when the running game is nothing in comparison to what it used to be, Chris. No, it really is impressive. And, and the time where running backs are disposable, they can't last long. I think that's really the, the probably the Hall of Fame banner thing to me is just that. You know, the longevity, the consistency. Yes, I was one of those that questioned a little bit because I think you can go back in time and go, I'm not sure if there's really a year you can look at and go, he was one of the three best running backs, but he was one of the five or six or seven best running backs for like 10 years straight. And that, that is impressive at that position for sure, let alone the career accomplishments to go along with it. So I've been swayed. And we've had some other guys on the other side of that argument too where you go, it's a very short career of amazingness, but damn, it ended. So if you're going to have those guys in, then you got to have a guy like Frank Gorian for sure. And as he told you a couple of years ago, and he's told me this separately as well, yeah. he was all the 49ers had. That's right. He was facing nine and ten man fronts. They didn't have the passing game to take advantage of. I mean, he was still getting his yards. Would agree with that. Even when yeah. he was it. He was the only drawing card for the San Francisco 49ers. Yep. All right. We no doubt. are out of time. Mondays. PFT Live is over. We'll be back at 5 p.m. Eastern for PFT PM. Not Chris. He'll be he'll be asleep or something. I don't know what to say. He won't be here. We'll see you at five. The longest field goal ever attempted is 76 yards. The longest field goal ever missed? Also 76 yards. Why bring this up? Because knowing your limits matters, both when you're kicking a field goal and when you gamble. Betting more than you're comfortable with is like trying a 70-yard field goal. It probably won't go well. So set a limit when you gamble and stick to it. Want more helpful tips like this? Go to KeepItFunOhio.com for games, quizzes, and lots of ways to keep your gambling from getting out of hand.